Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His kingdom. So, hmm. normally I have printed notes, and that's definitely preferable to what is going to happen today. Um, So bear with me. Um, We are going to look at Matthew 13. And how many of you have Bibles or can get a hold of reading along possibilities here? We're going to read a big section. Can I have the first slide? There it is. A polyculture parable, the intertwined roots of justice and mercy. So Matthew 13 is chock full of parables. Some of them are longer than others. Some are given explanation and others aren't. Um, And we begin with the parable of the sower. So I think that this parable is actually more accurately understood as the parable of the soils um, because it's describing the different kinds of soils that seed lands on and what their Potentials are if you land on these different soils, right? And then you have Jesus talking about the purpose of the parables in verses 10 through 16. And then you have an explanation. And Jesus is careful to describe the meanings of the parables to his closest group of disciples. And beyond that, allows the enigma to endure Um, to the greater audience. So he's kind of got this selective, and I understand this, artists are the same way. When you ask an artist, well, what does it mean? Oftentimes they're a little bit evasive. And in a way, that's pretty important because the art, art that's effective has an element of mystery to it and an element of being able to interpret it in a number of ways in different circumstances. And in some ways you could argue these stories, these parables are small, small short form arts, art pieces. Um, but that's just my angle. Um, and then there's the explanation. And then there's the parable of the weeds, which is what we're gonna focus on. And um, parable of the weeds is just kind of a clumsy title, but It's also the word of God, so I'll just stick with that. Um, And here we go. I'm going to read the first section and then read the explanation. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain... Then the weeds appeared also, and the servant of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed on your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root out the wheat among them. Let them grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, and then bind them in bundles to be burned, and gather the wheat in my barn. Interspersed between this and the explanation that Jesus provides for the disciples are, is this 
additional parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. So basically describing how a mustard seed, though small, can grow to be the largest plant of all. And then describing how a few grains of yeast can leaven the whole dough. All right, and then we have this explanation because the disciples were uncomfortable with mystery. No, they just wanted clarity. That's great. They wanted to learn from Jesus. So they said to him, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world, and the good seed is the son of the, are the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds were gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. And the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin, sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping, gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Then throughout the rest of the chapter, parable of hidden treasure, parable of the pearl of great value, and parable of the net. And then an additional little comment about new and old treasures. How teachers bring out new and old things. So, not sure if I'll do that today, but hopefully. Um, all right, so let's dive into this. Um, here are some overall observations about these parables in Matthew in this particular chapter. There's an element of hiddenness to almost every single one of them. Um, not only size, like these are, are small elements that Jesus is talking about, but there's also hiddenness. Seeds go underground, nets go under the water, um, yeast, when it's most effective, is kneaded into the dough. Um, so there seems to be, and this is a way of kind of understanding parables that can keep you out of trouble, is you look at tendencies that overarch uh, a number of the parables and keep you from starting to make one-to-one -one equivalence just based off of one example, right? Because then you can start getting really literal and say silly things like, you know, I need to just find me a bunch of flour and get kneaded into it or something like that. So, cover myself in flour. That you honestly, in the ch history of the church, you have a bunch of really f odd things that happen like that. Um, so, you know, don't think you're above it. <laughs> we all can do this strange stuff. All right, and then, um, sorry. Let's see. Another thing that is maybe a little less obvious when I was thinking about these parables is that there's an element in every one of them that requires action. So the things themselves, like a net or a single seed, even a single pearl, these things in and of themselves aren't particularly valuable. They become valuable when you use them or when there's action performed on them or when they're embedded in certain environments. There's something about the word of God, and a lot of times these elements, like the seed normally means the word of God or something like that, there's this necessary element of, of action, either of time passing or the possibility of growth or the right context that will create value for, of these small things, you know? Um, so I, I thought that was pretty interesting because it maintains a little bit of the idea of free agency or of some kind of agency on our part. 
And Jesus seems to make that a point a lot. You know, like the disposition of your heart and then the actions that you perform out of that disposition matter a tremendous amount. So overall, the parables are emphasizing the fragility of seed. So for instance, in the parable of the four soils, you're talking about how the seed can only flourish in a particular kind of soil, um, and it needs time. And that's what these two parables next to each other actually show us, is that there's a certain amount of vulnerability, too, about these aspects of the kingdom of God. Um, But something that I think kind of connects those two ideas of the item itself not having a tremendous amount of value, but you kind of needing action to make it have value in your life, but also um, the idea of things starting small is in Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever, whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows in the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So these things are, are growing, and we sow these things to ourselves, right? So let's not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. And if any of you know what it's like, like when you're exhausted, um, oftentimes it's not the really huge things that overwhelm you, it's just the next step. It's the next small thing. And um, I think that there's tremendous value placed on following through on those, those small things. So, um, The thing that's interesting about this parable of the tares is in the parable of the soils, you have a picture of the conditions of the inner heart upon which the word of God is sown, right? So that's fairly interior, And there's a lot that you can learn by looking closely at that parable and self-reflection and allowing the Holy Spirit to hover over that story, show you things. But then in comparison, the parable of the tares is one where there's a description of the general public environment of the world and how seeds, the seeds, the word of the Lord, land or what can be expected in that kind of environment when you're sowing and reaping. So one is really personal, and the next is more about the general environment, I would say. Um, So what's the next slide? I can't quite remember. There we go. So this idea of polyculture, right? So we read that little excerpt, and it told us that there are two kinds of plants growing next to each other. Polyculture is like an agricultural term for when you grow crops in rotation, and then the next step to that is interseeding, where you have plants sown deliberately into each other. And um, though we're we're given a description of an accidental interseeding, um, Jesus then goes on to say, well, the roots, it's gone too far. The roots are intertwined. There's a interdependence essentially that has happened and we can't separate them. So I, I just want to show that there's a, actually a kind of mutual, mutual relationship. Relationship implies that. But there's something very mutual about this idea of 
plants um, depending on each other. And um, it's deliberate in polycultural techniques. Um, and in this particular context of this parable, we have an example, I think, of mercy first and then justice. So the roots of the wheat, the wheat and the tares are intermingled in such a way that Jesus says it's damaging for them to be separated too early. And in some ways, that kind of leniency of giving more time is showing the heart of God and showing um, an aspect of mercy before, you know, a stridency to see God's purposes accomplished, blah, 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 you know, within exactly this way. And so, um, there's a... Let's see what the next slide is. This is Van Gogh, sower. Um, this idea of, of mercy, first of all, that when circumstances go awry and when there are things in the world that are difficult to bear or to even see happen, that oftentimes, like the servant did, we accuse God first in a lot of ways. And the servant said, well, didn't you sow this field with good seed? Why are there these weeds here? And how many times have we done that? You know, isn't this supposed to work out really well? Isn't, like, you've told me what, my purpose, what your purposes here are, and you're a good God, so why are these terrible things happening? And it's, I mean... The Psalms are full of complaint, and it's legitimate. We have emotions, and they're worth expressing. And we, we, take, we tell God that we take him seriously when we wrestle out loud with him about these things. But at the same time, in this parable, we're more or less shown the innocence of God in a lot of these kinds of situations, where he says, yeah, I did sow good seed, absolutely. But there's another force at work in the world. And um, I would say that the enemy, described in this parable, feels a double victory when he gets to credit God with his own bad behavior. <laughs> you know? And we shouldn't, we shouldn't cooperate with that. We can definitely have our complaints and we can be honest. But... I think it pains God when we credit him with evil in the world. So have mercy on God. <laughs> and then also there's mercy toward all of us because God says that every seed should have the same opportunity to be nurtured by the soil to the point of full harvest, okay? God is not pleased with the death of any. And the thing about wheat and tares is that tares don't show their nature till full maturity. You don't know that they're actually tares until they've, they're ready to harvest. And part of how you know is that tares, um, the grain in them is not as heavy as in a wheat head. 
and so they stay erect and wheat heads bend. And then eventually they bend completely under the load of their own harvest. They turn gold as well. So tares, you can only really know what they are until the end. So there's something very merciful about that, where God says, no, they should grow all together. They should all be given a chance. Now, some people use this parable to kind of underline the idea of predestination. I'm really not going to go there too much because I think you can make an argument with the way that seeds are used in a lot of the other parables that seeds aren't supposed to say that we're encoded fundamentally with either a leniency towards God or a leniency towards evil. Um, but that's probably a more intricate argument, and I'm just really not going to get into it. So, um, I would dare to say that in line with that quote from Colossians 6, that we sow to ourselves certain things as well, right? Um, so have mercy... Um, on all of us. God has mercy on all of us and says that we all should be allowed to reach full maturity, not be cut down too early. (laughs) And then mercy towards others, mercy towards the tares, right? So in many ways, wheat is a lot, it's a lot stronger, it's more robust of a plant than tares are, and the wheat roots really hold up the tares. Um, and in a lot of ways, that, that interdependence, if, if we believe we're, that God is a God of second chances, means that people who are of the kingdom of God and are in the midst of the world but not of it provide opportunities for God to be seen in the world. And it's important, actually, that we have roots that are interlaced with people who don't know him. It's actually important. So let's see the next slide. It's only at these moments, final harvest, that our ultimate destiny is known. So the God of mercy gives us these chances. Can I have the next slide? This idea of intertwining roots, right? This is a piece of art. Um, was it the Biennial in uh, Venice a couple years ago? Uh, this artist is from San Paolo, um, Enrique Olivier. It's an installation made with plywood, very large scale. There's another slide. Lending strength to each other, you know? Um, and it's very structural as well. It's just a a good visual reminder of of how roots are mutually um, strength-giving. You know, they lend strength to each other. Um, And they can't easily be unknotted. And Jesus recognized that in this parable. So... um, (laughs) Proximity and interdependent vulnerability create opportunity for people who don't know Jesus. Um, It's actually, I would say, not so much 
for our sake that Jesus said, don't harvest early, but for the sake of the tares. Um, so critical to this is a hesitation to judge each other. And that's really important too, I think, in this parable because Jesus himself says that at the end of time, uh, he doesn't even judge, and there's different verses. Well, he is the ultimate judge, but the, and there's a moment of judgment. But there are other verses that talk about our own words judging us, and then Jesus sends out these angels to kind of do the final deed of sorting. And um, there's something really critical about, in our lives here, in a world that's flawed, we refrain from the kind of judgment that keeps mercy from people and keeps us from being open-hearted towards them. Um, and we're not qualified according to God. We don't have the same wisdom that God does. Um, we are intermeshed with evil, not only in the world, but in our own hearts oftentimes. We have motives that are far from pure. And so we just don't have the perspective to be able to do it well. And besides that, tares don't even show their, their true nature until time has passed. Um, something that's also true about tares is their seeds are black, <laughs> And when they're eaten, if they happen to get mixed into wheat, they actually cause vomiting. So you can't actually get any nutrition from the wheat that you've eaten. And I think there's something very cautionary about that and something that you hear a lot in the Bible and the various parables that are told about something about this kind of high regard for purity. Um, and it's such an interesting posture to hold where Jesus says, yes, I am pure. I am intensely pure, probably more pure than you could ever accomplish on your own. But I still want you to be in the midst of a world that's broken. And I want you not to be judgmental, and I want you not to be bitter. I want you to, to reach full maturity and harvest and... Um, to be a benefit to the world around you as well. And the story that comes to mind for me is of this friend of mine whose sister, her German family, is a really wonderful, wonderful family, God-fearing, lovely, and then they would often put everything on the line um, with their faith. And so their daughter, um, who was a linguist and spoke multiple languages, um, a lot of Arabic languages, volunteered um, to go work in Afghanistan for this relief organization that was basically doing eye clinics in a lot of the remote villages. And um, so they were performing surgeries, actually, on, you know, in the countryside under rough circumstances. And... Um, she and her team, about 10 people, were leaving to go to the next village and got stopped by the Taliban and were executed. 
she was 33, and um, became a bit of an international incident. And her parents had to go through the process of forgiving. And Danielle went out into a place that was dangerous and gave. And her parents have forgiven. And the truth is that we live in a world where there is intense evil and hostility. And we still have to lend our strength to it. Because God does not take pleasure in the death of any, including the people that killed that convoy. That's the intense mercy and justice of God, right? Because there will be a judgment day. And only God has the kind of insight to know what's going on in people's hearts. So we're asked to do something tremendously diff difficult, aren't we? It's hard. <laughs> but we know that there is a God who sees, who bears with us, who can give us his own heart and his own comprehension of what's going on around us and people that we are tempted to dismiss and just simply call evil, or at the very least annoying, and um, lend them our strengths. So be a person like God is, and give mercy first and judgment last. In fact, forego judgment. So I want to pray for us. I think that's the last slide. And invite you to soften your heart in front of God. See what he has to say to you. Lord God, I thank you so much that you are realistic about this world. And how could you not be? Because you came in all your mercy and tenderness and truth, and we killed you. You know what it's like to live in a world with flawed and wounded human beings that wound one another all the time. And it's not just some psychological tendency, it's we have an enemy um, who is sly, who has an intention, no other intention, except to accuse, to kill and destroy. And so God, we acknowledge that our enemies are real, they're fierce, they're within and without. But God, you have planted your seed in our hearts 
And we are intended to be wheat, to be nourishing, to be golden at the end of time, to be heavy with fruit. That is your intention for our lives. And so, God, I pray that we would not hesitate in the present moment to live out that identity, to lend our strength and our fruitfulness to our neighbor, to love without requiring reciprocity. And to wait. To wait on your final word when, when sometimes situations or people are simply too difficult for us. Father, right now, if there are particular circumstances where we feel this kind of like granite resistance in our hearts, would you... <laughs> I have this image of... I went to um, on a hike last year, and I found a rock that was quite large. It had been completely wrapped around by roots that were just gradually crushing that granite. Lord God, would you do the same to these places in our hearts, particular people, relationships, overall systems that just make us livid? Would you soften us? And would you teach us to be people who offer our strength instead of our criticism to the world around us. And we thank you that we don't have to preoccupy ourselves with judging. And so God, one by one, by yielding these circumstances and these particular issues to you, We will expand the kingdom of God on earth. And part of the Lord's prayer is on earth as it is in heaven. And so these small actions of the heart are not so small. They are like the mustard seed. They grow out. They become the largest, most dominant plant, the most noticeable landmark. So I pray that these small actions of forgiveness and kindness unwarranted, unmerited in our hearts would stand up as counterfactual evidence that you're alive and well in our hearts, that you rule and reign, and you intend to rule and reign on this earth. Thank you, God, that we can live lives of such meaning and nothing is too great for you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.